0: Welcome into the Fantasy Football Mailbag, a RotoViz podcast. This is the June 19th episode, and we, as always, are dedicated to answering all of those fantasy football questions. I am your host, Mike Randall. You can follow me on Twitter at @RandallRant. And folks, today we have one of the premier dynasty football minds in the industry the co-owner of Dynasty League Football and the co-founder of the Dynasty Command Center, Ryan McDowell. You can hear his words of wisdom on three separate podcasts, the Dynasty Blueprint Podcast with Matt Williamson, the DLF Dynasty Podcast with Dan Myler and Matt Price, and Commission Impossible, of course, with Scott Fish. He is one of the legends in the fantasy football industry, a tremendous person, and a must-follow on Twitter at RyanMC23. Ryan, I always wanted to have you on the road of his mailbag. I believe the last time we had you on was back in 2016, so it's amazing to get you back on here. Thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, it's
1: been a little while, Mike. Thanks for having me back on. It's uh, always good to jump on here with you guys.
0: This time of year, of course, is exceptionally busy for you. You joined with Scott Fish a few years ago and used your expertise as a league commissioner to help work with him on Scott Fish Bowl, which enters its 10th year now. Just a wonderful way to bring awareness to charity and giving back to the world while also creating this exciting and fun league for the fantasy community. Amazing work by you and Scott every year. How did that all start? And do you ever look back and just smile at how big it has now become? 1,400 people, I believe, this year?
1: Yeah, yeah, we're up to 1,440 this year, actually. We, uh, we debated long and hard about that. Uh, last year was 1,200, and uh, for the big 10th year, Scott just wanted to get a few more people in. So many people, so much demand for spots, so bumped it up to 1,440 people, uh, and it, it should be a good one. But, um, th- yeah, so I've, I've been helping Scott with SFB for uh, probably three or four years now. And um, he started that league on his own as uh, originally as uh, basically a, a league run through the website that he owned and ran at that point, which was FF Oasis. And it started out pretty small. I think there were uh, I think there were 30 or 40 people I can't remember exactly in the first one, but it certainly started out small compared to what it is now and, and it has grown over the years. So um, I, I probably don't have the appreciation for just how much it has grown and how much work it is now compared to earlier since uh, Scott did it on his own for so many years. But um, it, it really, this time of year takes over the industry and it's, uh, it's awesome to see because Scott does does so much good work uh, with fantasy cares, with raising money for toys for tots and, and other charities as well. So uh, i in his mind, it was, I think, a way to bring the community together. And it has certainly done that.
0: Yes, it absolutely does take over the industry. And, and folks, it's about charity and donating and helping others. So if you're in Scott Fishbowl or you just heard about it, make a donation, pick a charity, Fantasy Cares, or whatever your choice is, help some people who are less fortunate. That's the purpose of it. It's it's wonderful. And I heard you and Scott talking on the Commission Impossible podcast about the scoring for this year's Scott Fishbowl 10. You're combining some of the more popular scoring elements from past years with a bit of a twist, as you always have. Scott always has that twist there, and this year it's great. Can you talk about the scoring format this year and the rationale behind the decisions he made as we're getting ready for Scott Fishbowl 10?
1: Sure. I, I will say the, the scoring is, you know, I try to help Scott in uh, really in any way that he needs help, uh, whether it's sending out invites or setting up leagues, things like that. But there are definitely some pieces of SFB that uh, that Scott really uh, wants to keep to himself and I definitely do not blame him for that. And the scoring is one of those because that's that's kind of a passion of his not only in SFB but in uh, in all of his leagues to find that balanced and, and really kind of seeking out that perfect perfect scoring system. So this year he's, he has made a few tweaks as you mentioned. Uh, the big one I think is going to be uh, going to be at the quarterback position. It's all about uh, completion percentage and it's all about uh, quarterback sacks. So uh, we're, we're really going to test that idea of is a quarterback sack. Is that a quarterback stat or is it more on the offensive line or, or what have you? So every quarterback sack, every sack, your quarterback takes you are going to lose a full point for that this year in SFB. Uh, also, every incomplete pass your quarterback throws, you will lose a point. You will get half a point for a completed pass. So we're talking basically about a 66 67% uh, completion rate that, that you're aiming for. Uh, if it's below that, you're ultimately going to lose points from your quarterback that week.
0: It's a fantastic twist. Uh, you're going to have quarterbacks with escapability like a Lamar Jackson who are going to be bumped up in value. Just another thing to get us to think critically here. When you think you've seen it all in fantasy football, this is a great twist. And so kudos to you and Scott, uh, what you're doing here. Really looking forward to getting started. I've done it for a few years. I think this is my fifth year now. Really excited, looking forward to it this year as well. You are a great follow on Twitter. You provide tremendous content, very active, of course. And you had a recent post where you put up the players that had gained and lost the most value in Dynasty League since the end of the 2019 season back there in December and I'm going to pick a couple out here and I want to get your reaction. First, we'll start with Austin Eckler. He's going to be our FFPC stat attack of the show. FFPC is home to the best fantasy football leagues and contests in the industry. They include the Dynasty Best Ball and of course the world famous FFPC main event. To learn more or to join a league, please head to myffpc.com. That's myffpc.com. Of course we have a handful of tools here at Roto is designed to specifically help you for that FFPC domination. And Ryan, what I want to mention here about Eckler, he has the highest increase in dynasty value since December. His ADP back in December was 71. It's now up to 26. And Austin Eckler last year in those four games without Melvin Gordon He really dominated the opportunity. He had 57.73% of the rushing attempts and had 23.53% of the team receptions in those four games. That percentage is just below Christian McCaffrey. It's second among all running backs in games that they started and they played fully. And he had a whopping 60% of the Chargers touchdowns in those four games. So talk a little bit about Austin Eckler here and his dynasty value, which seems to be skyrocketing.
1: Yeah, it absolutely has. He's actually the top riser according to our ADP data over at Dynasty League Football. Uh, and, and in some ways, this was surprising to me because we we basically knew Mel and Gordon would be leaving. So uh, that was that shouldn't shouldn't necessarily be factored into Eckler's value. Uh, they didn't were not active in free agency, didn't really bring in much competition. They did add uh, Joshua Kelly, the rookie who uh, a lot of people like, including myself, but uh, Eckler, Eckler's role should, should be pretty secure here. And and he's now being valued um, as an RB one and redraft and really close to that in dynasty format. So uh, I, I guess I'm a little bit surprised that he's, he showed up as that top riser. I think it probably has more to do with him being undervalued leading up to uh, leading up to that January ADP, which was our starting point.
0: And the player that dropped the most here in dynasty value since December is carry Johnson he went from an average ADP of 38.8 in Dynasty Startups to 111.3. You know, we read he was interviewed about the Lions drafting DeAndre Swift, and, and he seemed to blow it off, almost saying that he'd be happier in a in a tandem role here and doesn't necessarily have to see himself as a three-down back. That's refreshing honesty, but maybe that's something that's really hurting his, his value. But is it at a point now where it's too low and you actually think that carry on Johnson could be a buy at this point because he's still a versatile back. He's not a one-dimensional running back. He can catch, he can run, and he's done some nice work for them. And especially during a rookie season here with Swift, Johnson could get a lot of those carries. So talk about carry on Johnson here and his value as he was the biggest fall off in ADP in Dynasty Startups.
1: Yeah, he's our he's our biggest faller in Dynasty ADP from December uh up until this month. So, uh, of course that has to do with uh the arrival of DeAndre Swift, but uh I, you know, I think I think he's riding, and I was actually told that by someone who uh, who knows Keon Johnson that he didn't want to be the lead back. He didn't want to be certainly didn't want to be the uh, the only option in the backfield, which is what he's been uh, prior to injury over the past couple of years. And, and I, you know, I, I, of course, can't speak for the player, but based on that, it, it seems like uh, on Johnson would probably be happy to be part of uh, of a committee rather than kind of have it all on his shoulders, especially with his injury history. So I definitely think he's a value at this point. I've, I've never owned him in his two years, a lot of concerns, about injuries coming into the league. And unfortunately that has, um, you know, that's been his big issue that he's been unable to stay on the field through these two seasons. I think a a lesser role, a part-time role will help that as well. But heading into the 2019 season, he was a second round startup pick. And and it's sometimes you, sometimes you look at uh, ADP and you can just, pick out the players that are landmines and and that was that was one of those cases uh, so now he's n- certainly not a second round pick uh deandre swift is but carry johnson is outside of the top 100 in our adp i've never owned him uh prior to this offseason. now i'm uh happily drafting him anywhere i can in the double digit rounds
0: Yeah, at this point, again, we don't hate players. We hate their ADPs. That's the key. And and now, on Johnson could be somebody that you actually could get on the cheap, especially in redraft leagues, because people are assuming Swift is going to take the majority of touches. That may not be the case. Ryan, July 4th, right around the corner here, I need to know in the McDowell household, hamburger, chicken burger, hot dog, what's your choice? What do you have? And if it's a hot dog, ketchup, mustard, or both?
1: Oh, nice. I'm, I'm more of a hamburger guy myself. Uh, my kids are definitely definitely opting for the hot dog, and, and they want both. They want ketchup and mustard.
0: Yes, yes, exactly. That's me. I agree with them. Best of both worlds for sure. I want to get your opinion now on rookie wide receivers and comparing their redraft versus dynasty value. We're going to start with C.D. Lamb down there in Dallas. I loved him pre-draft. I know you did as well. He lands on a great offense in Dallas. He's tethered. He's tethered to a young franchise QB and Dak Prescott. Certainly, it looks like dynasty. He's a buy. I'm curious though, what do you think about him long term? Gallup Cooper there, younger players, and how should we view him in the prism for a redraft here? CD Lamb of the Cowboys. Oh
1: yeah, absolutely love him for dynasty. I think uh, you know, looking at this one, I I checked out their recent ADP, the recent ADP of of these players that we're going to look at, and um, CD Lamb dynasty ADP again basing that off what we have over at DLF. He's wide receiver 20, which I think a lot of people would say that feels a little rich this early before uh, before you've seen him on the field. He looks like he's... He might be the wide receiver three in his rookie year behind Amari Cooper and Michael Gallup. But I also looked at their redraft ADP according to uh, the the FFPC data over at Rotoviz, Wide receiver 40. So I, I think, to me, he's, he's actually... Uh, he's actually a value at both of those numbers. I, I expect him certainly to gain dynasty value in the coming year, but I also think even in a redraft league, a seasonal league, he can pay off that, that wide
0: receiver 40 number. Next one, Henry Ruggs, surprised a lot of people being the first wide receiver off the draft board there, went to the Raiders, certainly paid off for some people who had some nice odds on him being the first wide receiver taken. Doesn't seem, though, to be a great fit with Derek Carr. He was 25th in deep ball attempts per player profiler last year. How do you see Ruggs as a dynasty player when compared to some of the other wide receivers in this draft? Can he really have that Tyreek Hill impact that it looks like everyone is chasing, or is it really an unfair comparison for the rookie there in Las Vegas?
1: Yeah, I think that's that's what it is, I, and you can't blame teams for uh, trying to copy what the Chiefs have done, but. It, not every team is going to have a Tyree kill, right? I mean, there's there's not 32 Tyree kills in the league. There's not even there's not even two Tyree kills in the league. Um, H- Henry Ruggs might be close. He certainly has the speed. Uh, I, like many others, worry about the volume and and the role that he had in college. And, and I look at the Raiders' offense this year. Um, you've got to spend a, a first round pick in dynasty on Henry Ruggs or, or you know, at the at the best, an uh, early second. I'd rather have his teammate Brian Edwards later than that. And then looking from a redraft perspective, it, you know, they bring in Rugs, they bring in Edwards. We'll see how quickly those those young guys can uh, can can make the leap and adjust to the NFL. But it just feels like a repeat for Darren Waller
0: to dominate these targets. I agree. I have not gotten a lot of Henry Ruggs in my best ball drafts there. I just think he's going to be feast or famine, too unpredictable, and I, I think there's better – There are better options than him. Last one I want to get to you on is Denzel Mims, the Baylor product. He got picked by the Jets in round two. There is a path for seasonal fantasy success for him. He's going up against Brashad Perryman. That's a limited sample size for Perryman, who was considered to be a bust. And then because of some injuries to Godwin and Evans, he had a few games there at the end of the year. But certainly that's not an insurmountable obstacle. He's a young wide receiver tethered to that franchise QB again, this time in Sam Darnold. Denzel Mims, what's his dynasty value think in redraft as well this year? Yeah. I'm excited
1: about his dynasty value and his redraft value. And, and actually you, I think you're right. He's got the clearest path to some redraft production with Jamison Crowder, Brashad Perriman there. Uh, I won't even say in front of him, you know, alongside of him, Yep, it, yep. it won't be a surprise to me at all. If uh, if he's being looked at and, and being treated as the Jets wide receiver one by mid if not even sooner. So, That FFPC uh, ADP of wide receiver at 68, uh, a huge value, especially compared to to Ruggs and Lamb. I mean, he's he's coming off the board several rounds after those guys. uh, When in, in a redraft league, they probably should be valued similarly.
0: Yeah, if you're looking for a late-round rookie wide receiver that can make an impact in seasonal leagues, I I think it's Denzel Mims. Like you said, Brashad Perriman, he may even be ahead of him by the time the season starts. Not exactly uh somebody that he you can't envision him getting past. So if you're looking for a late-round flyer in seasonal leagues, Denzel Mims, definitely a rookie that you can watch here. And like you said, a lot better value than some of the top wide receivers that went earlier in the draft. Fantasy football, of course, is a copycat game like many things in life. Everyone wants a late-round QB pick that can have that sort of league-winning upside that Lamar Jackson did last season. So I want to know, what do you think of Joe Burrow in Cincinnati? ton of weapons, should be a much-improved offensive line. They get former first-round pick Jonah Williams back. Lots of negative game script in Cincinnati, certainly this year. That looks to be the projection. So, how do you see this Bengals offense also? A lot of young players on the offense. They could go into key roles. You could have Burrow, of course. Rodney Anderson could be an issue if Joe Mixon holds out T. Higgins as a wide receiver. I'm curious, do you think Burrow can give us that low-end QB1 or high-end QB2 season by getting a majority of negative game scripts, sort of like Blake Bortles did back in 2015? I think he was the QB5. So where are you on Joe Burrow and the Bengals this year?
1: I'm pretty excited about Burrow again. Uh, kind of my mindset is always dynasty, but shifting a little bit for those seasonal leagues. He's quarterback 18 right now in ADP, and and that really does feel like a steal. I love what the Bengals have done, not only in adding the weapons and T. Higgins and and the other guys that they already had on the roster, uh, but getting Jonah Williams back basically feels like they got an extra first-round draft pick uh, after he missed his rookie season last year. But they've committed to Burrow as well. A lot of times with these with these rookies, uh, you'll see a, a team, you know, suggest that they're not going to play or they're going to let the veteran uh, start the season. The Bengals didn't do that. They get Andy Dalton out of town, and, and this is Burrow's team from day one. Um, so I, I love that. Last year, the Bengals – pass the ball 63% of the time. That's the fifth most in the league. I wouldn't be surprised if that even went up this year with uh with Joe Burrow. So love him as that
0: uh late round target in redraft leagues. You know, I dropped Blake Bortles on you there. You didn't even flinch. So I want st- to <laughs> I want to stay with polarizing Jaguars. Let let's go to Leonard Fournette. I put this tweet out this week list of running backs that accounted for over 60% of their team rushing attempts and 20% of the team receptions in the full games that they played. The only two that broke 70% for the rushes and Over 22% for the receptions were Christian McCaffrey and Leonard Fournette, of course, with the amazing uh, targets. They got 100 targets last year. What do we do with Leonard Fournette this year? What do you do with him in Dynasty as well? I mean, a talented guy. He's playing for a contract, but very mercurial there with his relationship with the coaches as well.
1: (laughs) Yeah, he's a tough one because everybody's basically on the same page with him. Uh, in that we're we're expecting a decrease, especially in the receiving volume that you talked about. Uh, so so we're expecting him to fall off based on what he did last year. But his value is already dropping based on that. We're already seeing his seeing his ADP both in seasonal leagues and in redraft. Uh, or I'm sorry, in seasonal leagues and dynasty fade. You, you look at his receiving numbers and you kind of hit on it there a little bit. Uh, his, his receptions go from a, a, a career high of 36 to 76. Targets from 48 to 100. Receiving yards from 302 to 522. And receiving fantasy points from 72 to 128. So you look at that last number of fantasy points. If he goes from 128 back to somewhere in the 70s he's basically losing 50 fantasy points from what he did last year and we know the team is not very happy with him he's probably not very happy with the team They reportedly tried to trade him and found no takers they bring in uh jay gruden jay gruden in his nine years as as an offensive coordinator or a head coach has never coached an rb1 never produced a top 12 running back
0: and i don't think that's going to change this year with leonard fournette uh, that's a great stat about Gruden. Yeah, it's it's a high risk, high reward player. You know, when you when you draft early in, in seasonal, especially <laughs> you want safety. You know, I think that, that's that's one you're rolling the dice with. There is no shortage of action going on at our exclusive partners, BetOnline.ag. Sports are slowly making their way back, and BetOnline is leading the way with the best odds and lines for all the UFC NASCAR boxing and soccer matches. And if you need even more, they have simulated NFL, NBA, and UFC simulations all day, every day, live on their website. If you're looking for something else other than sports, BetOnline has hundreds of casino games, poker tournaments, and prop bets to check out. Please visit BetOnline.ag and use the promo code BLUEWIRE for a free welcome bonus. That's one word, BLUEWIRE. BetOnline, your online wagering experts. I'm Dave Cabin, host of the Rotoviz Fantasy Football Podcast. I wanted to take a moment to thank you for supporting Rotoviz Radio. We love producing these shows and we hope that you love listening to them. As a thank you, Royal Podcast listeners can get 10% off of a one-year Rotoviz subscription by using the promo code 2020RVRADIO at checkout. We have some of the very best tools, articles, and analysts in the business, and can't wait to lead you on the path to greatness. If you haven't done so yet, do us a favor and take a minute to rate and review this podcast. Thanks again for listening. Now let's get into the show. I talked with Evan Silva a couple of weeks ago. We both agreed that we like our best ball teams better when we don't pick a tight end early. I don't know what it is, Ryan. I'm just averse to picking a tight end early. I know, especially in tight end premium like FFPC, if if George Kittle ends up getting like 90 receptions, I mean, the the points just start adding up like a slot machine, but... Even in those tight end premium leagues, I end up avoiding them. Who are some of the under the radar young tight ends that you know about uh, that you could see breaking out either this year or maybe not this year if they're a rookie, maybe next year? Who are some of your sort of the guys that you're keeping an eye on?
1: Yeah, I kind of ignored the rookies on this. We know it's it's tough for them in general to see that year one breakout, but I, I would not mind investing in them uh, in a dynasty league for sure. But even in a redraft league. Uh, I like Irv Smith. I like Jay Sternberger. Uh, a lot of people are are on some of those second year tight ends, but uh, Dawson Knox is one I don't see mentioned very often. I like him as well. Gerald Everett, uh, Kahale Waring. There, there, there's so many, and and we didn't even talk about kind of the more obvious guys, uh, Mike Gaseki Johnny Smith, Ian Thomas. I think everybody's probably uh, interested in those players, but you can go even deeper into outside of the top 20 tight ends either in redraft or dynasty and and get some great value so i'm with you i'm i'm waiting on the tight end spot
0: yep i agree you know I, and I, I fell in love with albert O. Uh, wanted to see him be the first tight end off the board but uh during the draft but yeah absolutely i think there's a lot of value late superpower time you know maybe something you consulted with your kids on if you could have one superpower ryan what would it be Man, that's a fun one. Yeah.
1: I don't know what my kids would say on this one. I've got a 13-year-old a, a and 11-year-old. I'm kind of afraid of uh, what they might say. Um, I mean, for me, it's, I just need more time, right? I need more time in my day. So maybe, maybe time travel, maybe be, uh, being able to go back and catch up on things I missed. Uh, I, I don't know. Uh, probably lots of ways you could use that. So that'd be a good one.
0: That's a good one. That that one usually people go invisibility, but that that comes up. That's a pro and a con. Yeah, I like talking. Uh, yeah, yeah. I yeah, don't yeah, know that, about, <laughs> I don't know about that one. <laughs> that would get me in trouble. Absolutely. One of those ambiguous backfields for 2020 is the Rams. Uh, Les Snead, yeah. the GM, came out. He he came out with that statement where you know you sort of talk about everyone, right? I heard Mike Beers say, talk about your book. That, that's what he's doing in the finance world. He said Cam Akers, of course, had tremendous success at Florida State with that poor offensive line. He praised Malcolm Brown's short yardage and goal line success. And then, of course, talked about Daryl Henderson's home run potential. So what you're thinking here with the Rams, uh, does Henderson, who people were very high on last year, were g- girly with Gurley, with the arthritis in the knee that maybe he could make an impact, but it didn't really happen. Is he already going in the category of needing to be traded to be fantasy relevant what do you make of the Rams backfield here
1: yeah I'm, I'm worried about Henderson here for sure and uh I know so many were were so high on him last year because of Gurley's injury but the fact that that Gurley had that concern he I mean he he was productive from a fantasy spo- uh, standpoint because he scored a ton of touchdowns but he he didn't have a good year and, and I don't think many people would argue that he did so so even with Gurley Basically struggling, we still couldn't see Daryl Henderson uh, make much headway last year as a rookie. Uh, Gurley's gone this off season, and it was it was obvious the Rams, even though they were low on draft picks, were going to add a running back. But that they used such a high pick on Cam Akers has to be a concern for Daryl Henderson fantasy owners. And yeah, I, I mean, I'm I'm worried about him. He's another one another player who's really losing a ton of value in dynasty. I, I don't think it's honestly I don't think it's that uh, ambiguous. I, I think this is Cam Akers' backfield uh, again from from the get-go and uh, Malcolm Brown's a, a solid backup and, and I think that's all he is and I, I think I'm just ready to give up on Henderson honestly.
0: I have a question here from Paul from San Francisco. He wants to know, who is the better long-term dynasty value, Devin Singletary or David Montgomery? I I thought this was a great question because these are two young running backs that are lead running backs this year. I I know Singletary may be in a little bit of a situation where he's sharing with Zach Moss. But, you know, certainly without having Frank Gore there, looks like his role is going to increase. David Montgomery is very polarizing, had a lot of volume last year, didn't produce as well as people would have thought. So better long term value, Devin Singletary or David Montgomery?
1: And Singletary was certainly better last year. Uh you know, no argument there. Uh, He missed, missed a few games early in the season, still gave us a couple of RB1 games, five RB2 games. So not a boom bust guy, a consistent producer. Uh, David Montgomery played essentially the whole season, two RB1 games, three RB2 games. So not nearly as productive. And and I think those weekly numbers honestly matter a lot more than the, uh, the stacked up end of year numbers. Uh, uh, looking at the, the other pieces that these guys are, are battling with, Tariq Cohen's going to get all the catches. And, and I think that uh, what that takes away from Montgomery pushes me to, to choose Singletary here. And, and like you said, with, with Frank Gorgon, I think Singletary could see an even larger role and, and be even more productive despite the addition of Zach Moss. So I'm taking Singletary over David
0: Montgomery. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, the, The volume there is king for sure. I always wanted to have you on the pod to ask you this question. For those that are doing a dynasty startup, how do you balance sort of the aging but still productive veterans that are available during the draft Versus the massive upside rookies in roster construction. I know you wrote an incredible article that took off years ago called "Productive Struggle," blew up in the dynasty community. Where basically you say entering your first year of a dynasty league, you realize that maybe you're not going to win, but you commit to setting yourself up for the future. What do you, advice do you give startup dynasty players when they continue to see so many older veteran values like a Julian Edelman? I remember I drafted years ago in a startup who can still get you to that title in the first or second year, and how do you balance that when you're looking at them versus rookies that may take a few years is how do you, you sort of navigate that field there in dynasty startups?
1: Well, it's just what your, what your strategy is going in. Uh If you are committing to a productive struggle and uh, you're basically ready to or are willing to give up year one in an effort to build a stronger dynasty team uh, that, that takes off and competes in year two and beyond, then you're essentially just taking guys off your board. You're not drafting Julian Edelman at all. You're not drafting Julio Jones inside the top 50. Uh, And and of course that, that basically means you're not going to get him. you know, Um, and, and all the other players that kind of fit in that range of declining assets. You're, you're just avoiding all of those players and focusing solely on players who can gain value. And, and typically that means young players.
0: Yeah, and the productive struggle—it's you have to commit. You know, I, I've seen yeah. it before. We were talking with Sean Siegel last week about his zero RB strategy, and he said one of the people that one of the, the moves that people really struggle with is they end up going zero RB, and then they panic in best balls because the running backs start coming off of the board, and so then they start committing to grabbing running backs that they they really shouldn't. You have to commit to your strategy, right, with productive struggle.
1: Yeah, of course. Of course, like anything. And it's just it becomes so difficult because once September rolls around and we have to start submitting lineups, it's hard to uh, basically lose on purpose. And and it's not quite the same thing as a tank. Uh, you're not you know, you're know you not setting bad lineups. You're not putting in players that are inactive or injured or anything like that. But the decisions you've made leading up to the regular season have uh have contributed to likely uh, losing a lot of games. And, and again, you do have to be committed to that. Um, And it's, it's kind of that, uh, you know, it's kind of that mindset that once, once we have to start submitting lineups, we, we want to win. It's easy in the off season to build a team with, with young players and uh, rookies and things like that. But, uh, it's tougher in the regular season to, to stick to it.
0: Yeah. I have a feeling that after watching the last dance that Michael Jordan would not have been a good person <laughs> to do productive struggle with. For sure. Uh, yeah. There, there's a lot
1: that's, you know, I mean, the article is, uh, I think I wrote it in 2014. So over the past five or six years, that has certainly been the biggest criticism of it is that I, I, I just can't lose on purpose. I can't that, you know, that's, that's not my mentality. And, and I totally, uh, totally get that for sure. Um, and and I mean, I find myself struggling in the same way. I think a lot of the initial pieces of productive struggle that were kind of unique at the time have become almost commonplace because if you go back to 2012, 2013, 2014, a redraft and a dynasty startup draft, looked pretty similar. Your first round names were, were almost the same and people were just not honestly, not really focused on age, not focused on the the longer window of, of building a dynasty team. And really it was a lot of the work of Sean, of, of John Moore, and and some of the guys at Rotoviz who, who really pushed that, that we should be paying attention to these things. So now I, uh, a startup and a redraft look look very different um, with with mostly younger players being drafted early and I mean guys like Julio Jones, who has been um, an elite producer for you know for years and years now, you can get him in the third late third or, or fourth round of a dynasty startup draft and some people think that that's crazy. some people think he still belongs in the first round, but it's just not the case anymore.
0: What skill have you learned during the quarantine I will share I, I now make what I believe is the perfect margarita was it is it cooking a meal cleaning something uh, what have you because you you're a very positive person of course as well have you made something improvement uh, on something during this whole quarantine
1: oh Mike this this question got me in trouble you sent me these questions yesterday <laughs> I was I was sharing them with my wife and she just you know she just rolled her eyes uh, i've've done more football work. I've been on Twitter more. I've watched more TV. I don't think I've learned any skill. And (laughs) and this question just, you know, brought that to light for my wife. So I got in trouble.
0: Thanks a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we learned from you. We've learned more because you've been able to put more stuff out. That's the way I look at it. Okay. well, I don't that that didn't work for her. (laughs) Uh, You talked on the recent Dynasty Junkies pod about how you think the next sort of great wave in Dynasty is Superflex. I I agree with you. The more flex, the better. Uh, Superflex makes it a lot more fun, more scoring. How do you attack those leagues, Superflex Dynasty leagues? When do you take QBs? And uh who would you take there? What when would you take your second QB is I guess what I'm saying, you know, after you get your first one.
1: Sure. Sure. Yeah, I love um I love that Superflex leagues are growing so much. I know Curtis Patrick has talked about it, about the growth of that format on his podcast and on Twitter as well. I shared some numbers from uh MFL rookie ADP recently that just the sheer number of of Superflex leagues versus one quarterback leagues, that gap is narrowing. So Really happy to see that. Uh, as far as my specific strategy in a startup, I, I'm, I want two quarterbacks really early. Uh, not necessarily first two rounds, but I'm also not opposed to that. Uh, I think the, the ideal is probably quarterback in the first. I want, um, well, quarterback in the first if you can get, uh, I would say, top four. So if I can get uh, certainly Mahomes or Lamar Jackson, obviously, Kyler Murray I would put into that group and Deshaun Watson I would still put into that group. Dak Dak Prescott's kind of uh, on on the border for me, would consider taking him in the first round, uh, but we also still see him falling to the second round fairly often, even in that super flex format. So if I can get one of those four or five quarterbacks going quarterback in the first round, running back in the second round, uh, Miles Sanders is a great target there. Clyde Edwards-Alaire, Jonathan Taylor, J.K. Dobbins, all Uh, possible second round running back targets Uh, and and then might have to flip that, you know, if, if necessary. So maybe, maybe you go Barkley or McCaffrey in the first and then uh, then your quarterback decisions become a little bit tougher because you're going to have to take a risk on um, a guy like Josh Allen, Joe Burrow, we talked about earlier, Carson Wentz, those guys in the that second or third tier of quarterbacks
0: uh, become a little riskier. Time for a redraft dynasty lightning round. Tell me which player of the two that I give you you would prefer in dynasty, and maybe give a short rationale. You talked about him already. Would you rather Dak Prescott or Kyler Murray?
1: Yeah, in Dynasty, I'm taking Kyler Murray just, just based on age and upside. We've already seen him score as a QB1 one year in. We've seen the upgrades that the Cardinals have made, notably bringing in DeAndre Hopkins. So super excited to see what Murray can become. And, and it's, I mean, that's not a knock on Dak. It's just the three or four year age difference uh, that, that makes the difference uh, in Dynasty.
0: Next one's interesting. You have DK Metcalf tethered to Russell Wilson, obviously, but probably the second receiver there behind Tyler Lockett or Cortland Sutton, who is the number one, but he's in now a crowded receiving core in Denver. And of course, he has drew Locke, not nearly as accomplished as, as Wilson. Would you rather have Metcalf or Sutton?
1: Yeah, I want Metcalf here, and, and I think it's interesting you bring up their competition because personally, I think Metcalf is better than Tyler Lockett, uh, and and I won't be surprised at all if Jerry Judy is viewed as the wide receiver one ahead of Cortland Sutton. You know, maybe by this time next year. So uh, that that alone pushes me to DK Metcalf. I just, I mean, he's he's just a freak. We know that, and uh, I was really excited to see what what he did as a rookie uh, looking forward to him, uh, you know, continuing to grow and and certainly the quarterback comparison has to factor in there as well.
0: I asked this one to Sean Siegel for redraft. Same question to you for dynasty two young tight ends here who flashed last year, Noah Fant or TJ Hawkinson. Yeah. The real answer is I want them both.
1: Um, (laughs) It's interesting that, that Both of those guys actually have lost value over the past year, and, and I think part of that has to do with uh, the high hopes we had for them coming in to their uh, rookie season, of course, both first-rounders, last season in the NFL draft, and, and mostly in dynasty rookie drafts as well. Uh, if I've got to pick one, I'm taking Fant, but uh, again, no knock on Hawkinson. I really, uh,
0: really like both of those guys. And last one, two young wide receivers look like they'll be here for a while. DJ Chark or Terry McLaurin?
1: Yeah, this one's tough, too. I'm I'm going Terry McLaurin here. I mean, one of the most underrated players in Dynasty right now. You can get him in the uh, late fourth or early fifth round, which just feels like a total steal when you look at some of those second, third round wide receivers like we talked about earlier with, with Metcalf and Sutton. McLaurin should probably
0: be valued closer to those guys there are still a couple dynasty rookie drafts that haven't happened. So uh, you're certainly the the godfather here, if you will, of dynasty. Give us a late rookie draft dart throw, uh, running back, wide receiver, lottery ticket that you think could really pay off uh, a few years from now. Yeah, I was looking at
1: this when I pulled up the latest MFL rookie ADP. There's, there's hundreds of drafts that these are pulled from. I talked about that earlier looking at the one quarterback and the super flex rookie drafts. Uh, and started to look at the third round and that just felt too easy. It's the depth of this, <clears throat> the depth of this rookie class, third round guys aren't even, aren't even late rounders. Aren't, those are, those are becoming household names already. So I, I went a little bit deeper than that. Uh, Quintes Cifas has an ADP of 42 right now wow. in rookie drafts, uh, kind of liking what I've, uh, what I saw from him and, and really liking the fit in Detroit, the, the average age of Detroit's top five wide receivers prior to adding Cephas was just over 29 years old. Uh, we know they've got Kenny Galladay locked in there as their number one, but, uh, I mean, he, he's still viewed as a as a young player but came out late. So he's – even for one of those young wide receiver one types, he's he's a little bit older than than the others. Uh, so okay. Quintus Cephas at 42. And then a running back, Diggie even deeper James Robinson has an ADP of 55 uh lands with the Jaguars and uh, we we talked about the really the uncertainty of the situation with Leonard Fournette Uh, I do like Rockwell Armstead there still a little bit as a as a guy to stash but James Robinson is one of those you know just add him you probably don't even have to draft him probably add him off waivers after your draft
0: and kind of see what happens in Jacksonville those are two superior calls. That's why we have Ryan McDowell on the pod, folks. Both players with tremendous bursts, Cephas with a great catch radius, and in situations where you could see them really step up, you know, Amandola's older, and of course the nebulous backfield here, whatever's going to happen with Fournette. Excellent call there. Both of them, I, I think, are great, great flyers. Really like those answers. What's uh, And maybe your wife gave a, was happier about this question. <laughs> What's the better holiday in the McDowell household? New Year's Eve, July 4th, or Thanksgiving? Yeah, this was an
1: easy one. Thanksgiving, right? Thanksgiving is, is the one that comes with football. So that's, uh, that's the easy <laughs> choice. I guess New Year's Eve probably comes with some bowl games as well. But uh, you get the three big games on Thanksgiving. Uh, you, you get the, the huge spread. So yeah, absolutely Thanksgiving.
0: Well, I I always want to know who our experts have as their truther players. You know, the the ones that you just are going to stick to no matter what. I bonked on D.D. Westbrook last year. I was all over him. I thought – You know, he had a a really good preseason. I thought things were going to click and they didn't. And I've always been a Randall Cobb fan. He's still not even 30 yet, Ryan, which is incredible. Evan went with Rex Burkhead. He said he doesn't care. He's going to go down with Rex Burkhead. (laughs) Sean Siegel talked about Marquise Lee and thinks that Royce Freeman could even have, you know, obviously still do well because he hasn't had a chance. So who's the Ryan McDowell truther player or two that you just feel, you know what? I don't care. I still believe in him.
1: Well, I'm a, I'm a huge, uh, university of Kentucky fan. So always, always happy to grab Randall Cobb. Um, I do think he's in a good situation this year. Uh, really just, just kind of by default with the moves, the Texans have made losing Deandre Hopkins, uh, the, the constant uncertainty about Will Fuller and, and his injury and, and health status. So, so Randall Cobb, always a favorite of mine. Uh, a couple other guys, uh, that, have, have been losing value that uh, I would be still happy to roster Tariq Cohen mentioned him earlier. I think he bounces back in 2020 uh, and r- really just starting to wonder if, if they need a, a change in the coaching staff to, uh, to help him reach his full potential. And, and then Damian Harris in new England, we saw uh, really something do nothing as a rookie. That was disappointing despite some struggles from Sony Michelle, but uh, <clears throat> I think I think Harris can play a bigger role this year. I think we're going to see, a, a, of course, going to see a totally new offense in New England, and we we've heard the recent news about the Sony Michelle foot surgery. So uh, maybe maybe opening the door for Damian Harris.
0: Excellent calls across the board. It, it give the dynasty players here, sort of a preview of the 2021 class, uh, positions that are strong and weak. Of course, we heard a lot about this class recently. What are some players also you're keeping an eye on here as we head into next year? And we're looking at next year's rookie class. Yeah, this is a
1: great time to think about this. I know in, in the leagues I run, the kitchen sink leagues, we're doing our Devi auctions uh, in the month of uh, in the month of june so we're we 're really focused on those college players right now uh, the class of twenty twenty one and beyond and, and you hate to do it every time and it, it seems to happen this time of year that you you start looking ahead and you know the the twenty twenty class is okay, but just wait until twenty twenty one but it's it 's already kind of happening specifically at the wide receiver position position and as good as this twenty twenty group is. 2021 could be even better. You've got Jamar Chase, who everyone views as the uh, as the 101 in 2021 Dynasty rookie drafts, had that breakout year with LSU. But so many others, so much depth at the receiver position: Rondell Moore, Rashad Bateman, Jalen Waddle, Seth Williams, Tylin Wallace, Tamorian Terry, uh, Devonte Smith. Amon Ross, St. Brown. I mean, we're we're going on and on. That's basically a dozen guys, and just based on numbers, some of those are going to be second round rookie picks, and will will be great picks in that uh, that late. But running back positions certainly down. You've got the the big three that all opted to go back to school rather than be part of the 2020 class: Travis Etienne, Chuba Hubbard, Najee Harris. Those are the three backs that are I think probably viewed as the top three almost consensus in the 2021 class also like Journey Brown from Penn State who had a big year last season uh Kylan Hill was another player who went back to school and and uh could be in that top five running back conversation but the the running back position is certainly certainly won't match this group that we have this year and and that quarterback, Trevor Lawrence, I think everybody knows about, Justin Fields. Those two guys are going to battle uh, to, to be the top overall pick in the NFL draft, probably to be the Heisman pick as well. Lots of talk lately about Trey Lance, the, uh, the small school kid. Uh, I, I don't know if we'll get to see him as part of the, the 2021 class. You, you don't see those, um, those Division two guys make the leap and leave school early very often. Uh but he's he's at least getting getting that attention. Uh Daniel Jeremiah called it in the QB one in the class above Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields, which which was a, a big shocker. Uh beyond those guys, Jamie Newman, Brock Purdy, a couple other quarterbacks who uh who, who are worth keeping track of.
0: As always, that's great insight here for dynasty players. You know, go out, check out those players if you haven't already, and get ready for next year's draft it's gonna be a fun one as well. Ryan, you've been so generous with your, with your time. Just one more question, then I'll get you out of here. Of course, great player like yourself, fantasy football—you know, expert, know everything. I want your bold prediction. I want to know what you see happening this year. Something very bold that you think can actually happen in twenty twenty that will surprise the majority of, of fantasy football drafters.
1: Yeah, this is a fun one, and I'm gonna I'm gonna cop out a little bit because I'm gonna give myself some insulation. I'll say that I think we're gonna see two two rookie RB1s, two top 12 rookie running backs this year, and there are, there are a handful of guys that could do it. Of course, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, J.K. Dobbins, uh, DeAndre Swift, Cam Akers, any of those guys could be top 12 running backs, and, and really they're, already, they're all already being valued as top 12 running backs in Dynasty League. So uh, they, almost, they almost need to produce right away to, to maintain that value.
0: Yeah, that's a great one, because last year, Josh Jacobs did not finish as a a top 12 RB first time in a long time that there was not a rookie there in the top 12. So certainly bold prediction, but there's a chance it could happen. and, And that's what we wanted. Folks, Ryan McDowell, a must follow on Twitter at RyanMC23. So many great things he's doing. He's constantly working. He's out there, podcast, everything. Check out his work here. Listen to him. Ryan, can't thank you enough for taking a few minutes away from the family and the work and the Scott Fishbowl and everything that you're doing to join us here. Keep up the great work. And uh, I was an honored to have you on. Yeah, absolutely. Mike, thanks for having me.